Welcome back to That's Kinda Wavy. I'm your host, Jill. And I'm Shaysal. <laughs> Nikki and- is not here this week. She got some yeah. shit going on. Yeah, so we miss her, but she can listen to this episode and pretend she was here. Right. Vicariously live through us. Yeah. So what's new with you? What's been going on? Um, so a lot of, I mean, I'm always reflecting, but like a lot of other reflecting on my introvertedness that I have been neglecting in the past couple of months. So I'm feeling overwhelmed with life right now. It feels like I just can't catch a break. I mean, I I can, like life isn't difficult right now. Like thankfully nothing bad is happening. It's just, I, I feel like I'm just going, going, going. Yeah, I realized I haven't even started. Wa- I haven't started a new show, and I don't know how long. And that is so unlike me. But I have had no time to watch TV, so that has just made me feel weird. How about you? I, I like feel like I've kind of been feeling like that, but to a lesser extent. I definitely, I feel like I'm busier than I am, but I don't know why. For some reason, the, the days still just go by so quickly, and I'm like, I don't know what happened. I, I don't That's know. That's exactly how I've been feeling. Like, I know that that tends to happen, especially as you grow up, but I feel like it's been a long time now of the days just going by so quickly, and every day I'm like, again? I have, like, how do I even <laughs> having to go to work again and then having the same lim- limited amount of time after work and having so much to do and feeling like I'm so busy? But I'm like, what's – I have this, like, constant sensation of being busy, but it's like, what am I busy with? Right. I don't know. I feel the same way. And, like, I find myself telling people, oh, I'm so busy. But then I'm like – I mean, I am, but also at the same time, not. Right. I don't know. Like, I know that there's always something, like, whether it's, like, a home project or other stuff going on. But that's just life in general. So I don't know why there's this distinction now where I feel like, oh, now I feel like I am just constantly busy. But it's just like, just like always, I have a bunch of things. I really think that for me, it has to do with the traveling. Traveling just really, really throws me off. Yeah. It's worth it, though. Yeah. To, a, no. to an extent. <laughs> you're right. You're right. Like, I'm, I'm happy with the trips that I've taken and stuff. And I'm so grateful to be able to do that now that. I mean, things are a little better. I'm not saying that COVID still – I mean, it obviously is a thing um, that we need to be cautious about, but I'm vaccinated. So it's, like, better. But, yeah, at the same time, I guess – I don't know. It's, like, during quarantine, I was aware of the fact that I'm more extroverted than I thought. And now that things are opening up again, I'm like, okay, wait. I'm actually more introverted than I thought again. Right. Yeah. I'm kind of – I've I feel like I've fully come into being content just being alone and like doing things by myself that I find it hard to like actively try to make plans sometimes because I'm just so used to doing stuff by myself and I'm like I whoops I don't know I <laughs> not that I forget about my friends obviously and like I do make the time to still hang out with them but I don't know sometimes I'm just like it's a me day majority of the time (laughs) that's what I want to start doing and I I realize I've just like I've left no days for that there are a lot of days like during the week when I don't hang out with anyone but those aren't like special days or just weekdays and I have things to get done I very rarely 
I do set apart some intentional me time sometimes, but I, I treat it as like the, the less important thing. And the more important thing is making plans to make sure that like all of my friendships are tended to, but I'm realizing that my friends don't need me to see them every single week, at least the friends that I have in Chicago. But I have this like, I don't know, this thing inside me that makes me feel like I need to make plans every single week. I'm with them and make sure that they know that I'm not forgetting about them and that I'm being active in this relationship. But then I don't set apart me time and I want to do that. So that's that's something I've been reflecting on a lot recently. So it's kind of funny that you bring that up because I feel like I've been thinking about this recently that I feel like I'm so busy that I just don't know how to like make the time to do the things that I really want to do. And I feel like it's kind of related to ADHD and also to my past, like my childhood of not necessarily having like all the agency that I really wanted to, to pick and choose exactly what I wanted to do with my time. So now it's kind of hard to like do the time management and figure out what needs to be prioritized because for so long, like those needs were neglected and now we're just kind of used to it that we don't really know, like that we, we can't, we, we can prioritize those things, you know? I agree. It's difficult because of our past with like having less agency than we wanted to, which I guess would be the case for just in general being a kid. But I know that it's different if like your parents went out of your way to make sure that you were occupied with a bunch of things that like they chose to occupy you with. So that adds like another layer of it. But I know that I struggled as a kid just because I didn't like not having full agency, period. Like, even if my mom let me do whatever I wanted to do, I didn't like that being a kid meant that I was, like, somehow subordinate to someone else because I always felt like an adult (laughs) somehow. Yeah. Um, Like, when I'd get mad that I got kids' menus and I would literally cry because I didn't (laughs) understand why a restaurant person didn't realize that nine-year-old me was actually an adult. But anyways... (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah. But like also with the prioritizing thing, that's such a a key issue with ADHD in general, because that is like, I mean, the whole thing with ADHD is just having like really shitty executive functioning. And that's like a number one thing. It just feels so overwhelming to, to decide what needs to be prioritized. Even sitting down to plan those things, at least for me, feels like just the most difficult thing ever for some reason because our brains just don't know how to distinguish between those things. And then we just, maybe we feel busy all the time because we end up doing things that like, I don't know, aren't as important to us according to our values and stuff. And then we just spend that time feeling like we're never getting to what we want to get to. And then it's not enriching at all. Yeah. I know for me in school, I kind of like just, I I mean, I, I don't think that my ADHD necessarily like affected how well I did in school because I was kind of a good student, I would say. I got good grades. I like did my homework on time. I didn't really procrastinate at all, but at the same time, like the classes that didn't interest me at all, I had no motivation to do a single thing for them and it was like like torture. And the, of course, that ended up being like a lot of the courses I took for my major. I'm like, classic. I just kind of screwed myself here. <laughs> now I know I know like bits and pieces of information related to my major because I didn't like put in the work to, to try to like study and memorize shit because it just wasn't what I wanted to be doing. 
I know that that's that's obviously a struggle for like anyone if like they don't like the topic obviously it's hard to learn but it really is like a whole other beast with ADHD it just feels like if I mean literally part of the problem is just like not having enough dopamine or at least it not working in the way that it's supposed to so if you don't get that stimulation from like your external world then there's just like nothing driving you to do anything there's no reward there's no motivation and that's what dopamine is related to so it makes life really difficult and it makes things like day-to-day tasks feel impossible I know that you like things like washing dishes and like other chores like that because of your Virgo-ness and some of those things I also enjoy but I have this tendency to feel like I need to I need to do something I enjoy while doing the things I don't enjoy to motivate myself to do it but I do it to a fault I've stopped doing this but for years well like one to two years I felt the need to watch tv every single time that I was doing dishes folding clothes whatever but then I would keep pausing the show because I didn't want to miss anything if I got distracted and it would take me 10 times longer to do the thing I was supposed to do. But like ADHD things tell you to do that to make, I don't know, to make it easier to just get the shit done. But then it just takes that much longer. It just feels like, I mean, I know this is the case with any mental illness, but it just feels like there's no way to win. ADHD is literally just tricking your brain into doing shit is what it feels like. And even then it barely works. (laughs) It's just so difficult to find the motivation to do things sometimes. I don't know where people get it from. Right. And I mean, I I know that you don't take medication for it or anything, but I do. I I only take my Adderall here and there when it's necessary. But I don't know. It definitely doesn't like it doesn't make you want to do shit that you don't want to do. Like, I guess it makes it easier. (laughs) I realize it makes it easier to stay on task, which is good because that's an issue with ADHD. But if you're not doing that task when you first take it, you're fucked. I used to be really good about sticking to whatever I needed to do when I took it. But like in the past two years, which I I know I've talked about with you, is just, well, you and Nikki and Shelby. So what I do is I'll I'll take Adderall sometimes thinking like, oh, I know it takes like 15, 20 minutes to kick in so I can finish this video I'm watching and I'll just like know when to stop. But it doesn't happen. Like, I know when to stop, but I'm like, I don't give a fuck because I'm enjoying whatever I'm doing. And then I end up watching, binge watching TV shows or like going down a YouTube rabbit hole or whatever the fuck else. So anyways, just like everything else, there's no surprise that medication does not fix everything. It just makes it literally at best, I would say, like, I don't know, for me, maximum 30% better, which is still worth it to me. It just sucks that it doesn't get even close to fixing the problem. But anyways, I guess, unless you have anything, something else to say about it, we can get to our topic of the day. Yeah, which let's is, get to it. <laughs> let's get to it, which is <laughs> movie tropes and how they're shitty for society. <laughs> Whoa. Woo. So we, I don't know how much research you did exactly. But I was just, we, we both watched these videos from The Take, this YouTube channel. They have a ton of videos about like all the types of tropes out there. So that's where I, that's my source for this information that I'm about to provide. So we kind of did it based on like ones that we like and dislike, but we've also realized that they're all involving misogyny. So I don't know if I necessarily like when there's a trope, I don't know. I don't I don't really like like clichés in movies. I kind of hate that, but at the same time, it can be useful in telling a story and it's also interesting when they like 
when movies reinvent a trope and kind of like switch it up, which movies are doing now because a lot of them are self-aware about these tropes and it's kind of embarrassing sometimes to like play into it, in my opinion. (laughs) I agree. So the first trope that we are going to discuss is the ladies man trope, which if you've watched any movie from the 2000s, I think you'll know what this is about. I think I can't exactly remember which episode I brought this up, but I was mentioning how movies in the 2000s were trying to like make every guy be a player in a movie so that they could get all the girls and make that like an aspiration in a movie. And I, we all know that that has clearly, clearly like it's society was, you know, thinking of those ideas in the first place to even have them put into a movie, but it definitely exacerbated the issue. So yeah, ladies men are usually like super, super charming, super sexy. They might be like a little bit of a bad boy. They're usually like, of course, obsessed with sex and sometimes they are heartbreakers or even killers, depending on how how crazy they are. But they are all obsessed with their relentless drive to pursue women. So there's kind of like four different types of ladies' men that usually like appear in movies. And so first, first one is the Darwinian alpha male, which the super manly, like amazing, strong, buff guy which is pretty much like james bond think about that type of example he gets all the girls he wants he is a badass dangerous man but he's still super charismatic and sexy and suave and then there's the player seducer type ladies man which is pretty much barney stinson from how i met your mother this guy has all the lines his moves are pretty much like scripted almost to get the women he wants um there's also the satanic seducer I don't have a good example for this one, but these types of ladies' men are more treacherous than they are seductive, and pretty much any woman that he seduced has regretted it, and these might be the types of guys that kill the woman that they hook up with. And then lastly, there's the pathological woman pleaser, which are pretty much the sex addicts of the ladies' men world. It's kind of like Don Draper, Charlie Sheen, and Two and a Half Men, and... David Duchovny's character in Californication, all the men who are like pretty much just obsessed with sex will have sex with anyone that they meet almost. And it all comes from a place of damage. They're not able to feel or like make emotional connections with women. So they- Your classic emotionally avoidant male. Yeah, exactly. Which pretty much all these ladies men are like flawed or damaged in some way, which is why they're so obsessed with sex and like obsessed with fleeting pleasure and usually at the end of a movie like if they're gonna be reformed it's usually done so by the right woman quote unquote the savior of a woman who can change their ways and finally make them realize that emotions and long-term connection is what life is all about because let's just put all of our issues onto women and have them save the day that's their only role really is just to <laughs> make men better clearly yeah exactly so that's kind okay. of an overview yeah well that transitions us into the next trope which is the manic pixie dream girl trope that i feel like 
everyone that knows anything about tropes or like films, books, whatever has at least heard of this. It's honestly like I'm thinking about it. It's basically like the the Tame Impala version of like tropes where like it's just obscure enough where men would definitely be like, yeah, like, have you heard of this trope? And like, like they're all woke in the same way that they'd be like, so have you heard of Tame Impala? Yeah, where they think that they know something that everyone actually also knows. Right, right. So basically, well, I mean, it's more than that, but this trope, I would say, ties into what you said about, I don't know, a man basically finding another, like finding what life's purpose is actually about when they find someone that changes them somehow and their view about relationships and love and whatever. And I would say that's kind of what the purpose of this type of trope serves. It basically only exists to enhance the character development of the other lead. And, I mean, there are also Manic Pixie Dream Boys, which I'll get to. But for the most oh. part, it's it's been, I know, interesting. <laughs> it's been mainly women. They're the women that, like, are zany and quirky and are somehow super free-spirited. Honestly, the way that I see this trope typically in movies, I would say that they they give me minor Aquarius energy. <laughs> I can see that because they think that they're like onto all the new trends and shit. Exactly. And they think that they're like, they act and think that they're aliens, basically. They (laughs) might not express it in the movies, but you can just tell with the way that they are and they just don't fit into social norms and whatever. So honestly, it is, I would say, the stereotype of what an Aquarius is. And it's not always the case, but they tend to, I would say, not... I mean, they're emotional, but they don't get, like, attached and stuff to people. They're typically the outgoing ones, too, that introduce themselves to the male romantic interest in movies. I'm trying to think of an example. Well, there are a lot of examples. Like, one of the main ones is Elizabeth in Elizabethtown, which I have never seen that movie. It's just referenced a lot in these. I think that, like, the main girl that Scott wants in Scott Pilgrim. Yes. She is who I think of. Yes. I actually, I don't know. One of the videos I watched on it and I have watched in the past brings it up and the girl in the video actually dresses up like her for that video, which <laughs> I like. But um, I'm surprised that in all the other ones I've watched, she's never referenced. And I don't know why, but that is such a good example. There's never any like actual backstory to them. I mean, sometimes they might hint at it, like where they came from or something, but you never really know anything about this character. And sometimes they're actually like protagonists too. They just don't have any depth to them because they only serve a purpose for the other person, which is so frustrating, especially when it because given the fact that it tends to be women and they make them super one dimensional in these movies. So like some examples are like Elizabeth and Elizabeth Town, the girl and Scott Pilgrim versus the world there. I think Natalie Portman in Garden State. I would even say I don't remember her name. Maybe Margot in Paper Towns. Is that her name? I know the oh. actress is Cara Delevingne. I would say that she's not, she's not like a traditional manic pixie dream girl in the sense that I feel like she has a little bit more depth to her. I also haven't seen this movie since like high school, yeah. so I don't remember that much, but I can still see her being that way because she's like, she just brings out adventure and this guy that's like more reserved and whatever. And that's typically what this type of character ends up doing. However, I will say that there are some people, I, I think most videos now that analyze this discuss that these characters don't fall under this, but there are some analyses that mention Summer in 500 Days of Summer and Clementine in Eternal Sunshine on the Spotless Mind as Manic Pixie Dream Girls. 
And I don't think that's the case, which I'll explain in a second. But have you seen those movies, Jill? Yeah, I definitely don't agree about Summer, but I kind of could see uh, Clementine. Right. I can see Clementine more, but there are these like videos that I've watched that advocate for her not being that way because from the beginning, she made it clear that like she's not there just to make his life better or whatever. There's this quote that she says that that is, I'm not a concept. Too many guys think I'm a concept or I complete them or I'm going to make them feel alive. But I'm just a fucked up girl who's looking for my own peace of mind. Don't assign me yours. Which I was like, yes, queen. That's why I feel like she she's almost like a commentary on it, though. Like, I feel yes. like that's like literally almost like the direct definition of it, of her saying like, that's kind of that they are like a concept to, that a man projects onto someone else. You're so right. You're right. I'm pretty sure in in the videos I've watched, they haven't discussed that like that was most likely a direct form of commentary on the thing. But like they have talked about how she's not she doesn't fall into this trope in some ways she does because like I mean, this is a very superficial one, but I know that they tend to have different colored hair, which is something <laughs> no, that they why is that a lot. literally the reason why I'm like, I, I could see it for her with right, her orange right, ass hair. Right. And then blue at another point. Same with Scott yeah. Pilgrim versus the world. I even wrote down living by her own rules, constantly changing her hair color because yeah. But summer and 500 days of summer is the one I'm most passionate about because I used, to, I mean, I still actually really do like that movie. I just haven't watched it in a while. I know that when I was growing up and I watched that movie, which I'm realizing is definitely just a form of internalized misogyny and just ignorance about this and my skewed toxic perspective of romantic love at the time. I hated summer when I was little, maybe not little, but like in high school, I guess not hated. That's a strong word. I thought that she was the villain in the movie. And I think it's because I really sympathized with Tom and now I've realized in the past couple of years, I've learned more about this, that it's definitely because I idealize people and the way he idealizes them. Well, not anymore. I used to. I don't know if I would have gone as far as he did realistically because she straight up said she didn't want a relationship and all that stuff. But I guess I'll, I'll give like a summary if like someone hasn't watched the movie or something, even though I feel like most people have at this point or know about her character in the Manic Pixie Dream Girl world. So basically Summer, it's like this... This, the movie is like a different type of rom-com, but from the beginning, Morgan Freeman is voice, voicing over and he says that this isn't a love story because it's not. I mean, it is, but it isn't. And this guy, Tom, meets this girl, Summer, at work, and she fits into the trope in the sense that she likes different music. Like, she listens to the Smiths, which honestly isn't even that, you know, they're not necessarily like the hipster, but whatever. But yeah, she's like more hipsterish, which is the manic pixie dream girl thing she's like adventurous and i was gonna say likes to try new things but that is the definition of adventurous she also talks about how she doesn't believe in love and talks a little bit about how it's it has to do with her parents relationship and stuff and tom kind of has the opposite perspective and has a very dreamy romantic version of idea of love and he for some reason still romanticizes her and thinks that things are going to change and that she will want a relationship eventually, even though she made it clear from the beginning that she didn't. She's made to seem like she's a villain superficially, but like if you actually, I mean, it's really not that hard to see that that's not the case, but I don't know if you're a 15 year old watching it for the first time, I guess it is. 
But yeah, like I, a lot of people advocate for Summer in this movie for a lot of reasons. One of them being that she's not a Manic Pixie Dream Girl. She's just like the romanticized version that Tom created of her is a Manic Pixie Dream Girl. He rejected this idea on her and she couldn't live up to that. And yeah, that's that's my take on <laughs> Summer and how she is not a Manic Pixie Dream Girl and how I hate if anyone ever thinks that. Even though I've seen a lot of videos saying like saying that now they don't see it that way, but yeah. Yeah. Okay. Before I I move on to the Manic Pixie Dream Boy, do you do you have anything I have not said about Manic Pixie Dream Girls that you'd like to add? Um, I don't I don't think so. I feel like you covered it. Oh, also, wait, side note. With Summer in that movie. A lot of videos have also talked about how even Zoe de Chanel is kind of seen as this type of person because she is like quirky and zany and whatever and like is into music and all that stuff. But that's like who she actually is, which inherently makes her not that because like this is the whole Manic Pixie Dream Girl thing is it's literally a dream. It's not real. And I think people connect how they see her in real life to this character which kind of exacerbates that but yeah so I would say for the most part the trope is it's not as prevalent I feel like that was definitely more of a 2000s to early 2010s type of trope I feel like if it were to come up in a movie now it is more like commentary and I think like you've mentioned earlier it's kind of like movies and tv shows have to do that now otherwise it's cringe basically if they like fall into the trope without commenting on it or making it ironic somehow yeah so a lot of videos that i've watched i've talked about how it's not as common but there was a movie that came out um from disney a couple i don't know when it came out i didn't even hear about it coming out i just but the name rings a bell called star girl so i know nothing about it i didn't even watch the trailer but a Apparently, she's like the female protagonist who makes who helps the male protagonist, I don't know, see life as more of an adventure. The theme of adventure is like a common thing with them, which is also another reason why I associate them with Aquariuses. And in general, with this whole trope, the whole using women as a plot device for men to grow, it's just not cute. It was never cute. And it reminds me of how you ended the whole ladies' man topic. It's like the same thing. It's like women are not here to serve men, not in real life, not in movies. And I hate that it's been so prevalent. But at the same time with these tropes, it's kind of interesting to see it happen in so many movies and TV shows because without that, then you wouldn't see a trend, which then you wouldn't be able to connect it to life in general. Yeah. I think. Yeah. My last thing about this trope is the Manic Pixie Dream Boy, which there isn't much more to add about it. It's just that they they also exist. They are basically there to build up the heroine's self-confidence, inspiration for them. I would say like Augustus Waters and the Fault in Our Stars is a version of that with his stupid ass cigarette metaphor, <laughs> which makes no sense and is so pretentious and just stupid. Don't get me wrong. I love me some John Green. I love that movie. It's just also cringe. Yeah. There's also a vi- one of the videos I watched referred to the Manic Pixie Dream Boy as a selfless, responsible Peter Pan, which I kind of agree with. I barely know anything about Peter Pan because I watched that and read the story when I was so little. I th- I kind of think of, of Peter Pan as creepy. 
Because he's like hanging out with a bunch of little kids and like taking, like kidnapping them for a day and then bringing them home. (laughs) You're right. You're right. And he's also kind of like into the little girl. Like, isn't he supposed to be like he never ages? So he's just, he's old. I did not, I did not realize that. I know so little about that story because I really have only like watched it, read it, whatever, when I was like, six and under maybe (laughs) but i just love how peter pan basically falls into the hollywood pedophile ring essentially no literally um hello michael jackson naming his estate neverland oof i didn't realize that i didn't i I knew that the documentary on him and his antics (laughs) with this shit was called that but i didn't know that his estate was called that yeah that's really gross actually yeah Okay, well, anyways, (laughs) the pedophile topic will come up in a later episode. Oh, yeah. Okay, the next trope, I would say, is also, just like all of them, they're all somehow related because they all fall under misogyny somehow. The next one is the cool girl trope, which this one, to me, I am passionate about. When I was watching these videos again and writing notes, I felt myself getting angry, but in a good way, because just like most women... I, I would say that most women, at least in Western cultures, have fallen prey to this at some point yeah. and have tried to be this cool girl. So basically, I would say that the cool girl is similar to the Manic Pixie Dream Girl, but since they – okay, they're not real people, but in movies they seem like more real people, which like makes it makes it seem like it's possible to be the, be the cool girl in real life, but it's not. The cool girl is basically one of the guys, loves cars, sports, likes junk food and beer, but also they have to be hot and skinny while doing this. They can eat all the pizza, they can eat burgers, whatever, but if they're not skinny and extremely hot at all times, then they wouldn't be a cool girl. Unsurprisingly, it's a myth created (laughs) by men and unfortunately it's been perpetuated by women because we've seen that in movies and even in real life men do value this type of woman they value a woman that doesn't cause problems that never gets angry that's just super laid back and that's just not real i mean not like women can't be that way and obviously women can have all these interests and stuff but it's just different when they have to negate other parts of themselves or just negate femininity femininity (laughs) I sound like I sound like Nemo and Finding like Nemo. Nemo. Yeah. <laughs> Femininity. <laughs> they have to just completely negate that to be this cool girl, which is super fucked up. Um, I want to read the cool girl monologue from Gone Girl because the whole I mean, the cool girl thing has been seen in movies before movies and books before Gone Girl. But I think the term was coined by Gillian Flynn in this book. So I'm going I'm to look that up really quick. This quote's pretty long because it's a whole ass monologue. But I'm going to read it because it's important and gives you the whole synopsis on what this, this trope is. Men always say that as the defining compliment, don't they? She's a cool girl. Being the cool girl means I am hot, brilliant, funny, a funny woman who adores football, poker, dirty jokes, and burping, <laughs> who plays video games, drinks cheap beer, loves threesomes and anal sex, and jams hot dogs and hamburgers into her mouth like she's hosting the world's biggest culinary gangbang, while somehow maintaining a size two, because cool girls are above all hot, hot and understanding. Cool girls never get angry. They only smile in a chagrined, loving manner and let their men do whatever they want. 
go ahead, shit on me. I don't mind. I'm the cool girl. Men actually think this girl exists. Maybe they're fooled because so many women are willing to pretend to be this girl. For a long time, cool girl offended me. I used to see men, friends, coworkers, strangers, giddy over these awful pretender women, and I'd want to sit these men down and calmly say, you're not dating a woman, you're dating a woman who has watched too many movies written by socially awkward men who would like to believe that this kind of woman exists and might kiss them. The rest of this is actually just Gillian Flynn's comment on this. But anyways, yeah. So that's that's her description of it. And after learning about the cool girl trope, it gave me a whole new perspective on, I think her name is Annie in Gone Girl. Have you seen that movie? Yeah. I watched it a long time ago. And since I learned about this trope, like, I guess three years ago, no, two or three years ago, maybe. And ever since watching this video, I wanted to, I want to rewatch the movie and I just haven't gotten around to it. But I remember that when I was younger and I watched it, I, I didn't think that she was a straight up villain because at that point I was old enough to recognize that like something was up, which made her act that way. But I still did see her as like being crazy to an extent. And I mean, you could argue that she is in the sense that she did try to frame her husband for murder for well, she killed that one. Oh guy. right she did she killed what <laughs> she killed neil patrick neil patrick i Harris. almost said neil degrasse tyson <laughs> <laughs> yeah she should she should get him to she watch get out too for real i'm trying that, there was another video about her i'll continue with the cool girl thing yeah in a i i watched the the likable sociopath trope video and she was mentioned in that because I mean, they they talk about how there's a difference between people in movies who are like sociopathic and then straight up psychopaths. Like the sociopaths usually have some redeeming characteristics and like they understand moral things like something is good or bad, but it's usually mostly in black or white. So like they talk about her and how people like her because she does explain like why she felt that way and how her husband like stifled her personality so much and how in her marriage because she... I don't know, because, like, she was pretending all the time. Like, they never really even knew each other at all. So, I don't know. She She's – I mean, there was a part where they said, like, she's definitely – someone from the movie or something said, like, she's definitely got anti-personality – like, antisocial personality disorder. So, I don't know if they were, like, she's, she's a sociopath or what, but she she did kill someone. In the yeah. Movie. Like, she went to a – yeah i would agree that she was sociopathic in that way because obviously at the end of the day to get to that you know you have to be some type of ill i would say but like the point (laughs) is that there is a reason why she got there and uh, it just made me so angry because i know that in that movie she pretended to be this cool girl and i think what happened was that at one point i don't know if he was already cheating on her before this so correct me if i'm wrong He might have been, but the video I watched made it seem like it was after the fact. There was a point where she basically like broke the cool girl character, I guess. I don't remember from the movie, but they talked about it. And after this was when he found this other girl. And this other girl was basically another, just a younger cool girl. And it's just like, oh my God, like she did all of that and she's still... It's like it's it was for nothing, basically. Like, she still couldn't have that happy marriage. She still couldn't have a husband who actually loved her in the way that she deserves and all that stuff, which I know they didn't really actually know each other because she was portraying this idea of what he wanted her to be. I don't know. It's just so frustrating 
because actually like Shannon and I have talked about this before where we try to be this cool girl. We try to be someone that's like, oh, I don't have to talk about issues because I am chill. And if I, if I don't talk about issues, then they're going to stay. And they don't. Even if you don't talk about the issues, they still leave. So it's like, why even repress all that shit? Why why try to hold up this persona? But also, how can you blame women for trying to do this when it's been glorified? And it really is yeah. just like this weird male fantasy that's obviously homoerotic, which I know you've brought up when talking about these tropes because yeah. these men just like masculine traits which again like i'm not saying like women can obviously genuinely love sports cars all that stuff obviously it's just the very specific combination of these traits is very stereotypically masculine so it's like what the fuck is going on here it's weird right and then it's always like once they stop acting that way then they're like ew or if they like don't look cute that day they're like oh my god ew now she's gross now she's just gross for like eating a burger exactly even uh, one of the examples they used in the Cool Girl Trope video by The Take was Sandra Bullock's character in Miss Congeniality, how she oh, she yeah. genuinely had those like more stereotypically masculine traits, like the way she ate or whatever and the way she spoke, stuff like that. And then people ridiculed her for it. Like people thought that she was like, like her coworkers that were men basically looked down upon her. And in a yeah, w- the, the one guy was literally like when she did, had her makeover or whatever, he's like, oh, you're going to be ugly again tomorrow. Right. Right. Exactly. <laughs> and it's like she was only actually respected when she was pretty, because if she's not above all hot, then none of these traits matter to them. It's just like every other fucking thing that men create. It's a standard that is impossible to uphold. And I can't believe how much of my life I spent trying to be this way, which also has to do with the fact that it was mainly in romantic situations and the fact that the men I typically went for tended to be avoidant, which I don't know, I guess just makes sense to me that they would be more attracted to this cool girl because this cool girl is more aloof. But yeah, it's fucking shitty. And I used to be one of those girls that like didn't want to be like other girls. And I remember vividly my senior year of high school, one of my friends, Lena, we were talking about like me, my friend Sarah, and like some other people were talking about basicness, like basic white girl shit, like things like Uggs and stuff, which I would say around that time was when basic was like not coined for the first time. That's when I started hearing it more often. Yeah. And I remember she was so woke for her time. I remember her saying, because a teacher asked us what that meant when he overheard us talking. And she said that it's just another way for women to pit women against each other. And I agreed with her and I had never thought about that, but I still live live with this mentality of like not wanting to be like other girls, feeling like if I if I stood out in that way, then like maybe I'd find a romantic interest that I don't know would stay. And it's just shitty because there's absolutely nothing wrong with traditionally feminine traits. Yeah. And I'm just thinking about how society, like it's hard to distinguish what comes first. Like, is it society that puts these ideas out and then they're put into movies and like played up that way or is it the movies that are like kind of starting the trend and then more people are like normalizing it as it goes on but like I hate how all of these tropes like at least the ones directly about women and we'll we'll still mention another one after this but like all of these are just made to put women against each other in a competition for men it's so annoying that it's hard to say that 
like any of these womanly tropes are honestly like seen as bad because I feel like a lot of girls do look up to becoming like the cool girl or the manic pixie dream girl or the girly girl and they put the other women down that are categorized quote unquote into the other things I'm like why can't we all just like have more than one dimension as a woman yeah you know like I like we don't have to be doing everything for men and I know that that girl Chrissy on TikTok is like, you're projecting what you want to be to get men's attention, girls. Like, stop. And like, yeah, please. Let's be aware of like, if we're doing something in the interest of like getting a guy to like us or if we're doing something in the interest because we actually like it. I agree. God, there were so many times where I, I wouldn't change who I was, but I would kind of, I would pay more attention to interests that like they would relate to which is normal in any relationship whether a friendship or something because like you just you find what you can relate to and you talk about that but to another extent I would do that like that was just over the top and it's it's just shitty to look back I mean I don't blame myself for being that way and we've done this for a reason but it fucking sucks and something else that I remember from the video that they talked about is that this cool girl is only cool as long as she's comforting but not challenging men. Like even um, they mentioned Black Widow in the MCU as a cool girl. I would say that hers isn't as evident as other ones, but it's mainly because she doesn't get as much screen time as them, which makes sense. But yeah, it's like she can be strong and whatever, but she can't outshine them ever in those movies. They even mentioned how Captain Marvel was criticized for... I've heard of the criticism having to do with, like, her being overpowered, which, do you know what that is, Jill? Um, I mean, I know the movie, but I never saw but, it. But, like, overpowered, like, I, I, I did, I think that's the term that I'm thinking of. It's this idea, which, like, I guess I don't play video games, but, like, applies to video games and stuff, too, potentially. But I've seen it mainly in movies. That's the media I tend to consume and TV shows. It's, like, if there's a superhero that's, that can just like kill anyone and like survive anything, then there's no stakes really. So, Oh, so she's like that. That's I've, when I've talked about it before with people that happen to be men. So I'm like, now after watching this video again, I'm like, what's, what's the real issue here? I do agree to an extent that if like someone's overpowered, then it's like, there's no challenge. And I get that because the challenge is what leads to a, a story and all that stuff. And I didn't like that movie for other reasons that are unrelated to that. But after watching this video and thinking more about this trope, I'm like, okay, I think there's more behind this because I feel like if it was a man that was overpowered, like, yes, it'd be, it'd be criticized as a movie and as a character maybe, but I don't think they would straight up be shitting on the character in the way that they shitted on Captain Marvel. Isn't like Thanos literally that though? <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Is that not his exact thing in the other movies? Th- like he literally can't be defeated. Thank you. That is the, yep, up exactly. So that there it is. And I don't, I mean, I'm sure, that, I'm sure there's at least a couple articles that exist out there that might be talking about that. I'm sure some people have thought that he's overpowered and that's an issue. But from what I've seen, there was nowhere near the same amount of backlash as there was for Captain Marvel. And I'm sure that people who, if you brought this up, if you brought this up to someone that thought that about Captain Marvel, they'd probably be like, no, it was just a bad movie and just deflect it and make it sound like it's about something else. But I'm sure that, because just like with everything else, that there's some internalized misogyny in there. Yep. Because why wouldn't there be like I I 
was tweeting about this to someone the other day because they were like, is it possible for any straight man to not be misogynistic? I'm like, no. no, it's not because it's not even possible for all women to not be misogynistic. We all have that shit inherently brainwashing us right. from the time that we're born pretty much. So it's it's something you literally have to unlearn because it's like it's impossible to not have it affect you. Right. It's like it's the same thing. Like you have to be anti-misogynistic in the same way that you have to be anti-racist. Yeah. Just saying that you're not racist or something like of the sort is just that's not enough. You have to work against that because we do have these unconscious biases, which I know we've discussed on the podcast before. Yeah. Oh, also, wait, the straight men thing. I feel like I should talk about the homoerotic thing that I read about really quick. And then I'll finish off with the girly girl thing, which I would say, I mean, it's a separate trope, but I feel like it complements cool girl because it's basically the antithesis of cool girl. Yeah. Jill brought up this point about she she just brought up the homoeroticism that we've seen in things like this with men creating this cool girl fantasy where men just want masculine traits in a woman basically and i know that you mentioned if there's a connection between that and people who might be closeted i haven't figured that that and like being closeted and but like projecting homophobia okay so that part i definitely want to think more about and I'll get to you on that because I feel like if I had the time to really mull it over I could have a whole psychological analysis for you the main thing I can think (laughs) of that's like right off the bat is just I can't I don't know which specific Freudian defense mechanism would be I like the first one that comes to mind would be I guess deflection there's another one that's more that's more specific to what we're talking about it's just like you're trying to repress that and you're it's almost like outwardly projecting that shit makes you feel like you're performing your straightness better or something. Uh, so I feel like that's what it okay. is. It's like it's almost like them trying to convince themselves that they're more straight. And the more that they show that to the world, the more they're like, oh, well, they won't find out that I'm gay then. It's like I think that's like their armor is going above and beyond with the whole no homo shit. But it's so interesting that like. It's so interesting that the no homo shit is what makes you seem more straight because you're literally saying shit that's gay. Dude, I know. And just just wait. <laughs> like that's why I'm like, what? Just wait till I read you the shit that I found. So after Jill brought this up to to us, I looked up just like keywords related to homoeroticism um and misogyny and stuff like that. And I found this article called On the Misogyny Paradox and the Crisis of Heterosexual Coupledom by Jane Ward who has a book called The Tragedy of Heterosexuality that I will need to be getting immediately because that says it all. (laughs) And it was talking about this, which I mean, like, we know this stuff, but hearing about it in this context is like, damn, that's so true. She mentioned how most forms of heterosexual coupling have been organized around men's ownership of women rather than their attraction to or interest in women, which makes sense if we think back in history, marriages had more to do with wealth and wives were equals property. So I can see that something that she quoted another book, which I also want to look into because she said that it was really good and helped her understand more about this misogyny paradox is a book called women with mustaches and men without beards. And a quote from that book is if a woman can satisfy, satisfy a man's desire, he may become enamored of her, develop an affection bordering on love and consequently become subordinate to her. So 
like I, I guess the concept of actually being in love in a heterosexual relationship was like straight up controversial, at least according to what these books talk about or these authors talk about, which is yeah, so interesting to me that somehow loving a woman is too gay for them. <laughs> like I, I don't understand it. I have another quote too, but I don't know. I want to hear your thoughts if you have any on what I've said so far. Just, it's so interesting that they're like literally any form of love besides like physical affection is deemed gay. But like even parts of sex are like homoerotic, like being into anal sex could be. And also I I want to mention that like, being gay has literally existed since the beginning of time, which we all know. But I mean, in terms of like Greek culture, it was literally seen as like the top tier type of sex you could have. And also that ties into our pedophilia conversation because usually it was like older men with young boys and like they literally were seen as their teachers trying to teach them how to be sexual and embrace their sexuality by doing that type of stuff. So I don't know. It's interesting that uh, all this shit goes back to when we were living in, I don't know. I don't even know what year, <laughs> but you know, just old. Know. <laughs> old. When we were living in old times. Yeah. Yep. The general era of old times. <laughs> um, they actually mentioned ancient Greece. They're talking about documents from that time talking about Athenian uh, how Athenian wives were regarded with contempt by their husbands and treated as servants within the family, while sexual relationships between adult men and boys were in many cases characterized by genuine affection and treated by Greek male society as a valuable method of preserving patriarchal power and strengthening male bonds. So, yep, <laughs> yeah. yep, that's it. That's why I'm like, it's crazy to me that homophobia even exists because like this is your history y'all this is the patriarchy's history you are you guys are all gay you can't deny it (laughs) it really is okay that is so strange to me i haven't thought about it through this specific lens based on these arguments it's almost as if being gay makes you more manly at least based on like this beginning of history and what? <laughs> when did it become the opposite? When did it become unmanly? And I'm wondering, because I'm sure that there are studies out studies on this out already and books for sure. I want to understand what it is that made heterosexuality specifically supposedly more of a manly thing. Because I always thought that's just how it was because of misogyny and because then they could overpower women and, you know, authority, whatever the fuck. But, like, based on these readings that I found, it's the opposite. Like, it's literally they mentioned that falling in love was what a man did with other men and falling in love with women more often than not was unmanly. So, like, what where is this? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I feel like it has to do uh, clearly with misogyny, but I feel like it has to do with, like, how over time getting married to a woman – like, I don't exactly know how how they started switching over to, like, even wanting to have marriages with women and why that was, like, seen as how you have, like, economic transactions, basically. 
So I know it was seen as like an economical thing. And I feel like maybe they just started to subconsciously like like the power over ownership of women so much that it turned into this thing where like you can't own another man. So why would you marry a man and like be in love with a man when you could own a woman and like tell her all and control her basically and tell her what to do and make her serve you instead? Right. I'm thinking now I'm also like basically flabbergasted by the fact that if it started off as like homosexuality being the main thing when it transitioned to heterosexuality, but then I'm remembering, okay, technically traditional reproduction in that way. (laughs) Yeah. But it's making me think of, which we'll get to when we talk about your trove, about the femme fatale. I remembered something that they mentioned in that video. So I'll I'll wait till we get to that. But it's related to this. Okay. Well, do you have anything else to say about homoeroticism before I close out my tropes with the girly girl? <laughs> I just want to say that I hate these tropes because I I just know that they've added to homophobia and like men feeling really conflicted when they start having feelings for a girl who like displays these manly type of traits and then they start realizing like wait why do I like this girl's manly side and that probably makes them feel really confused and like conflicted and just adds to the closeted homophobia so I agree anyways yeah I'll briefly discuss the girly girl trope because it's basically it's it's like I consider it the opposite of the cool girl and in these movies with cool girls I don't know like how frequently it actually comes up but most movies that I've seen there's almost always like a another girly girl type of counterpart actually in the cool girl video Mm -hmm. they talked about how in the movie I think it's called how to lose a guy in 10 days yeah in that movie this girl has these like these cool girl tendencies, but she wants to lose her boyfriend. So she does the opposite and displays traits that men typically don't like, like being clingy and needy and emotional or whatever. And she actually models this behavior off of her friend who exhibits this type of thing and who has had difficulties in relationships or being needy and all that stuff. I haven't seen this movie. I've only heard about it through these analyses. So I don't know if I'm missing details, but I have... Um- yeah, like the main plot is that she's like a journalist and she's writing a column on how to lose a guy in 10 days. So she like finds this guy who she like reels in by kind of being a cool girl and then they start going on dates and she starts acting like needy and like she's like literally like crying at the table, like shoving food in his face or like being really crazy and angry and mean to him. But he like still ends up liking her because underneath it all, she is this cool girl. So... Of course, of course, she can't even she can't even help this man liking her because of that stupid shit. Right. So yeah, the girly girl trope, it's for the most part. I think it's becoming a little different now. Although I can't think of examples, but for the most part, we have all seen movies where this type of girl is negatively portrayed in almost like all movies from the two thousands. I would say, which also exacerbated. Yeah. It's the whole like you mentioned the chicken or the egg thing. I feel like it was already perceived that way kind of, but it was only exacerbated with these movies. Then people saw, Oh yeah, men don't react well to this. And they make them so over the top with their emotions and everything that they make them seem crazy. But in this video that I watched about this trope, they, they talked, okay, I'll, I'll mention some examples, examples that I actually hadn't thought about before. I know you don't like twilight. And I mean, I, I liked it when I was younger. I know that it's absolute shit, so I don't like it now, but have you seen the first movie? At least the first movie. Yeah, and I, d- I did like this example because I 
she doesn't get that much screen time so it was interesting that they even brought her up at all because i'm like i didn't even remember her character right and i i never liked her either her name's jessica in the movie i'm pretty sure and okay yeah jessica so if y'all haven't watched um twilight somehow it's she's like just another just a random character that they don't really make important or the book in the book or the movie she's just like a girl in uh bella's group of friends but they contrast her with she's also played by anna oh right right oh yeah that was like one of her starts i forgot that that's where she began basically but in the in the video they talk about how throughout most of her on-screen time she's quite literally drowned out like when she's talking bella's zoned out in her head about something and she's just mumbling in the background which i never thought about how that was like a very conscious choice on the director's part to do that yeah it's like literally being drowned out is and it's every time she's talking about something like i don't know more feminine Yeah, there was a part where she she was like i'm actually going through a really tough time right now and that's when it's like start starts zoning out you're so right like oh my god you're so right (laughs) and it just shows that like since they made her this like quote-unquote girly girl her thoughts are just completely unimportant and it take i mean like now that we're older we realize that bella is just so fucking stupid for so many ways and just an awful character as well which i mean i recognize that even you know when i like watched the movie in sixth grade but it's crazy because bella swan is this like tomboy-esque character i wouldn't say she fully falls under cool girl but still more on the cool girl side for sure and the whole movie, Bella's falling in love with a guy that's not only extremely toxic, but whose major plot point, at least in the first movie, is him not trying to kill her. But thank God that she doesn't care about shopping for prom dresses or just things that high school girls tend to be preoccupied with or whatever. Right. They mentioned in this video, too, is that which is related to this, is that our society hates teen girls. Their interests are mocked, their moods are pathologized, and their clothes are policed. Yeah. Like, (laughs) I know. I'm like, there's just no way for women to win. Right. Right. There is literally no way. It makes me think of the beginning of, what's that Beyonce song? Is it called Flawless? I think it's Flawless. That has that beginning of, like, they teach girls to do blah, 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 whatever. And she's saying, like, the, the person who's speaking is saying how, like, if you're if you're too strong you're labeled as this or well i don't know you know you know what i'm talking about yeah i wish i remembered what it was but i don't remember a single thing from it as my memory usually tends to do it's like how how nikki says if i speak up about something i'm labeled a bitch exactly exactly same idea yeah um so yeah the girly girl i mean i there's a lot i could say about it but i think we all I think we all know (laughs) what a girly girl is (laughs) and it's fucking shitty because things like femininity and feminine traits, stereotypically feminine traits are powerful and like they, they should be seen as strengths and because they've labeled them as negative and made these overall girly characters negative, it makes it it inherently makes it seem like those traits are bad. Like it's not a strength to be emotional instead of being needy, just having higher needs for whatever reason, which isn't a bad thing. Cause you just tend to be more emotionally in tune with yourself. You're clingy. Like it's just no matter, right. or even choosing to talk about them in general without even like any emotion in your voice. Right. Even just choosing to talk about how you feel or like wanting to be in a relationship and being open about that makes you seem like you're weak. Right. 
I I was gonna say I have I was thinking of the movie Sydney White actually because I yes. feel like in that movie the the girly girl is actually portrayed as like really nice and cool and she ends up being like the girl's best friend which is funny because the other girl usually those like the trope the trope of a cool girl and the girly girl are like pitted against each other and they're used to usually make the cool girl or like I don't know if it's the cool the cool girl or kind of like the I don't know what you would call it call what, like what her type of trope would be I would say she falls Amanda under Bynes it to an character. extent yeah because she's like into dude stuff she's like a construction girl yeah. but like usually they use those two types of tropes to like show that the cool girl is like better than the girly girl the girly girl is usually portrayed as like the mean type of girl who is like demanding about what she wants but not in a nice way and like is manipulative sometimes and like oh only only wants money and she's materialistic all that type of shit so I think it's cool that in Sydney White they're actually like friends. Right. No, I agree. I forgot what her name I is. I forgot about that. But you're right, and that isn't commonly shown. Also, as when you mentioned it, I realized that Amanda Bynes has actually fallen into the cold girl trope multiple times, even in She's the Man. I would say that she was similar to that. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So and in that other oh wait no that's the same movie. I'm were you gonna say Sydney White? I know I was thinking it was another <laughs> yeah. movie. Too. I feel like there's an I feel like there's possibly another movie where she's like doing some similar I feel shit like there, has, there is yeah what a girl wants she's definitely like the cool yes, girl yes i agree oh also i feel like it's this is like one of the last things i'll say i feel like it's important to mention that there are also girly i mean we know this is as people in society there are girly people who weren't assigned female at birth and they talk about that in this trope video which i really liked and if things like and it's like it, it shows that those can just be good traits, period. Like you can identify as a man yeah. and have these traits and it doesn't it shouldn't threaten like your gender or anything. They mentioned Gene and Bob's burgers, which I love that they mentioned that. Yeah. I know. I haven't watched Steven Universe, but after watching this video, I kind of want to because apparently, at least from how they described it, he is, I guess, like more sentimental, emotional, and compassionate than like the other female characters in the show which i thought was really cool yeah and he like uses that as as his superpower yeah exactly which it is so yeah we love girly yeah. girls but on the other hand <laughs> onto our last trope <laughs> the complete opposite yeah, for real so we mentioned it a little bit already but it is the femme fatale trope which means fatal woman in french and I feel like this is a trope that isn't commonly seen, but when it is, it's like kind of iconic. Yes. A little bit. But also it's it's hard to say like if I actually like it or not, because they I'll talk about this more in a little bit, but like they discuss whether it's actually misogynistic or feminist. And of course, to an extent it's both. But I'll talk about that in a second. Um so the definition of a femme fatale is kind of like the opposite of a girly girl. She's a person who is like very seductive and like kind of like a vamp almost, like dark characteristics usually. Um, she's like super gorgeous. She's magnetic. 
If she walks into a room, everyone is looking at her. She usually makes amazing first impressions on people. They're, they like become enamored with her on site. Um, this kind of trope originated in like film noir back in back in the day when shit was still in black and white, which was interesting because women were not treated as well as they are now in, in that age. So it's interesting that they kind of like were able to be bad bitches on the screen and like control their sexuality and wield it as a tool or a weapon to get what they wanted. Cause that was pretty much what like their goal is as a femme fatale. They usually are manipulators and they're usually trying to get something that they want, whether that's money or power. And sometimes they may even kill people to get that. They're usually also known for being very emotionally cold and distant. Like they, do not get attached to people, and sometimes they'll fake it to get what they want. They are 100% not interested in conventional domestic lives, and they do not want to get married, they do not want children, and they are vocal about that. So this character, this trope, usually kind of represents our culture's anxieties about women and what happens when women don't enter the domestic sphere and like don't follow these conventional rules because usually at the end of movies that have this trope the woman either needs to be reined in and like kind of checked by a man usually or she's killed or sent to jail or faces some kind of consequence that destroys her so it it kind of is just like deeply linked to male fears that women had too much independence and didn't need men anymore. So of course, like this is a very misogynistic trope, but at the same time it is feminist usually for like a majority of the movie because for most of the screen time, these women are like bad bitches. They are doing what the fuck they want. They're telling men off. I don't know. I wouldn't say that they're like the goal for women because it's not, you know, it's not healthy to have no emotions or, you know, to try to avoid connections with people. But in a way, I like this this trope because fuck men and fuck the patriarchy. And these women are kind of like the character that's taking down the patriarchy. Like famous examples, a simple favor. Blake Lively is kind of like a femme fatale in that movie. I don't think she really like kills anyone, but she is very emotionally cold and distant and just like super vocal about not taking shit from people. And like she's judged for prioritizing her career while being a mother, which is interesting because usually this type of character is not a mother and they don't want to be a mother. So it's interesting that they threw that in and showed that like she can still be powerful and say fuck men while having a child and like being a mother. There's also that movie that came out recently, Promising Young Woman, I think it's called. I didn't watch that yet, but I really need to. I guess that that the character in the movie, she like targets nice guys that she meets at bars. She like pretends to be too drunk and she's like, eventually a nice guy comes over to help me and he'll try to take advantage of me. And so what do I do? I... I'm obviously she's pretending that she's too drunk so she takes them home and kills them and tortures them and shit so another type of femme fatale there and they also mentioned that I can't remember the the characters names in Get Out 
But oh, yeah, yeah. the guy's white girlfriend, she is a femme fatale in the way of being like a white female racist. And she's kind of like literally handing him over to her parents so that they can like do whatever the fuck they want with him. So I don't know. This char- this trope is kind of like displayed in a multitude of ways, which is kind of cool to me. But I really liked this trope. Like I don't. I'm not saying I like the trope. Like yeah. I don't know if it's because it was newer to me than the like the ones that I discussed. Because the ones I discussed are things that I I notice frequently in film and TV shows. And this one I have heard of the femme fatale and all that stuff. I don't know. I guess I guess there were there were takes on it that I hadn't heard of. Like, do you remember when they, t- I know you, you kind of touched on this, that it kind of has to do with men being afraid of women having more power outside of just a domestic role. I think they talked about how it also, like, it became more prevalent during, I don't know if it was, like, if the movies became more prevalent during World, after World War II era or something. It, like, the point was that it became more prevalent after, like, women had more of a role in society outside of the household and they didn't like I don't know express their sexuality maybe a little bit more than in the past they even mentioned some part I wish I remember the quote and I don't this is what I thought of when we were talking about the homoerotic thing I can't remember how it connects but it connects somehow (laughs) in the (laughs) femme fatale video they talk about how it was also like an expression of men's fear of women no longer wanting to have kids and stuff. Do you remember that part? Because like the kids, not having kids takes away the power of a ma- of a man. Yeah, I think I wrote it down. It's kind of it's like the fear and desire experienced by men confronted with women who deny the right of men to control female sexuality. Right. It's like yeah, it's like they're scared, but they also like admire it in a way and like they want that like how we were saying like the cool girl they want girls to like not want to have relationships but then they're also afraid at the end of the day that women won't need them anymore and have no use for them right i don't know it's interesting because nowadays like there literally are also lesbian femme fatales yeah true so anybody can be preyed upon i can't remember if they talked about it at the end of this video or if it was the other video I watched wasn't a trope. It was just dissecting solely Amy's character in Gone Girl. I think it might have been that video. At the end, they talk about how they like that they they embraced sort of like the darker side of a powerful woman in a way that I liked because that very like cunning, manipulative way that she went about that, that was so, so intelligent and calculated in a way that is just inherently feminine in the best, most powerful way. Like a man could never pull off something so intricate. And that, I I feel like femme fatale movies sometimes portray that, which I really like. I like overall, I mean, I've only watched that one video, so I could be wrong if I like read more about it. I feel like the femme fatale trope does more for women, even though it has its downsides for sure, than the cool girl. Like for sure. I feel like the femme fatale is at least, it's almost like a more feminine version of the cool girl, which makes me respect it more. I agree. Yeah. It's, I don't know. It's interesting because like at the end of the day, a lot of these movies were written by men and like, they're still kind of used as a plot driver to like aid in the man's story because sometimes they can be contrasted with like a good girl or like the girly girl type so that they can like show that 
this femme fatale is horrible and bad and like everything wrong with the world, basically the embodiment of death itself. And like the man shouldn't want that girl. And they usually go for the good girl type. That's like literally the plot in Blue Velvet where there's Sandy, blonde hair girl versus like the film noir, you know, late night singer in her Blue Velvet dress. So yeah. I need to watch that movie. I've never watched it. It's a weird one, but it's interesting. It's uncomfortable. Oh, I mean, I guess that makes sense. It's a David Lynch movie, right? Yeah. So as we've said multiple times throughout this episode, all of these tropes, like there are definitely more connections in this that hopefully someday we'll analyze more of. At least I personally (laughs) would like to spend more time finding more specific connections as honestly, I, I treat this as if it was like for a class, which I enjoy, which is why I want to make my own connections about these tropes. But anyways, yeah. the one very glaringly obvious one is misogyny. And in all of these, even though women are the ones that are being dis- disproportionately negatively affected by this, well, not just women, anyone that's not a cis white man, basically, you know what? everyone everyone is negatively affected by this although in different ways and in different proportions because even men that exhibit these traits that we've talked about that are negatively portrayed in these in these tropes like they're still they still are they're still negatively affected affected. exactly so it sucks yeah (laughs) the patriarchy hurts the men as well right yeah like the the ladies man trope today is seen as like creepy and like predatory. It makes me think of pickup artists. <laughs> yeah, right. I'm like, thank God society has changed. Like these guys who are who are so like grossly and overly persistent, they're finally being deemed as like weird and people thank that God. you should not aspire to be. Because once those literally were seen, that was seen as like an aspirational trait. Like ew. So, yeah, like, men, you're going to be perceived as gross and creepy if you act like that. Right. So. Learn from this. <laughs> when you mentioned ladies, man, at first, I don't know why. I, 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 I mean, I've seen it when it's been on in places. I don't watch Friends. I don't like Friends. And for some reason, I the first thing I thought of when I heard ladies, man, was Ross from Friends. I don't know anything about that character, but just the way he Is looks. Is that even... Is that the one that, that actually is the ladies' I man? Think, I think – I don't know if he is, but I know he's the one that dates – Wait, that's – yeah, that's – there's one that is a ladies' man, but that's not the one. It's not the one? Okay, well, all I know is he's he's disliked. He's really disliked, I think, by people. I don't think he's supposed yeah. to be, like, a negative character, but I, I know that people shit on him the most as a, as a person, as a character on that show, and the way he acted, I'm, I guess, towards Rachel, who was – What's her face? Jennifer Aniston's character. Yeah. For some reason, when I heard that phrase, I just thought of him. I just picture his face because he's the, to me, just the quintessential version of just, ugh, just a guy that would not give up and like thinks he's a ladies' man, and is actually grimy. I know nothing about his character. He just looks that way to me. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I don't like. Him. <laughs> yeah. I I immediately think of Barney Stinson. True, as the ladies' man. True, like, which she's also gross. Like, yeah. I mean, 
he's coercing women into having sex with him that's basically assault so. yep yeah yeah i don't fuck with that and we got our cool girl robin in that show yeah literally they talk about how ted was just so obsessed with her wouldn't leave her alone right. even when she was marrying his best friend did she really i've, I've sorry never if that's a spoiler <laughs> her and spoilers ahead but her and barney get wow. married oh for like a hot minute and they break up yeah okay. i figured <laughs> that kind of makes sense Okay, well, do you have any finishing thoughts? I've I've said my part. I've made my peace <laughs> with this. <laughs> Not really. Yeah, I feel like me too. I just it's crazy how I don't I'm just like stuck on is it the chicken or the egg? Like did society make all of these things proliferated in our in our world or did these movies like come up with it and then people were like, you know, that seems cool or like more normal? Obviously, it's know. much more complicated than this, but compared to other chicken or the egg arguments, to me, this one, I feel like at least some of the tropes can really be pointed back to the films themselves. Like maybe not like the girly girl one, I would say no, because that just has to do with the way that we look down upon feminine traits and stuff and see yeah. them as like subhuman for whatever reason. But with things like manic pixie dream girl for example yeah like men idealized women but i don't think they would have idealized them in that way maybe or like especially with the cool girl the cool girl to me is like the most obvious example of that happening first like i'm sure men still some men still like longed for that but it wasn't until that that like women started acting that way really you know yeah at least not on like a larger societal level yeah misogyny is rampant We've been new. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) We did. Okay. Well, I guess that's it for this week's episode, y'all. Next week, Nikki should be back. So yay Yay. about that. Um, And new episodes are out every Tuesday. You can find us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Past two weeks, they've been out at 9 a.m. I was about to say, so, we on top of our shit, kind of. <laughs> yeah. Hell yeah, y'all. We're doing this. And also, hopefully, we got our glitch shit fixed, too. Yes. Guys, you don't even know. <laughs> you don't even know how much of a process it's been. But we out here, I think the audio sounds a lot better. Hopefully, we'll see when we're editing this. But yeah. Yeet. Yeet. Bye. Bye.